0: It's Wired, the Pistons Podcast, presented by Jeep. Here's your host, Matt Derry. And it's a pleasure to bring you another edition of Wired, brought to you by Jeep, the Pistons Podcast, on Pistons.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Wherever you listen to your podcasts or get your shows, welcome in everybody. As we talk Detroit Pistons basketball with you for another week, Pistons off a big win Thursday night at Little Caesars Arena, one fifteen ninety eight over the Orlando Magic in a game that, quite honestly, this team needed to have after a one and four road trip. If you count the Cleveland game, a one three West Coast trip, and just a good feel good opportunity to get a win against a team that had been surging as of late. Winners of four in a row, the Magic trying to eke into the playoffs. Pistons with a win last night and a Brooklyn loss move up to sixth, a half a game ahead of the Nets with seven to go. And we'll talk all about it with you today right here on Wired and joined by Grant Long, who will join me in a matter of moments, Pistons analyst on Fox Sports Detroit, the former Piston, a Romulus great, Eastern Michigan great, and a 17-year NBA vet. G. Long will be my guest in a few minutes right here on Wired, presented to you by Jeep. A couple of quick comments on Thursday. Well, let's go back to the road trip. Pistons went 1-3 and three on the West Coast trip, of course, with some tight losses to Portland, Golden State, and Denver. They were getting the doors blown off of them uh, on Tuesday night against the Nuggets, then mounted a huge comeback at a great fourth quarter defensively and ended up losing the game by three. But I think we saw something with this basketball team on Tuesday, and that is what we've seen all year, which is they don't quit. They play hard. They play a full 48 minutes. They might be a little bit flawed on both ends of the floor, this is not a team that we all know as Pistons fans is completed just yet. And there's going to be some guys that you know, Ed Stefanski, Dwayne Casey, and them are going to want to bring in to kind of complete this roster around Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. But man, oh man, I, and I tweeted about this the other night at Derry Speaks on Twitter. The play calls at the end of that game, with the Pistons needing three point baskets and having some timeouts at their disposal and having the ball on the far sideline, and on two occasions, Dwayne Casey. Uh, diagramming sideline out of bounds plays for wide open threes on cross-court passes, one to Reggie Jackson and the other to Wayne Ellington, was just a thing of beauty. And, you know, we've heard some such great things about Coach Casey from the players. We understand it's a different ball game here, here with him as opposed to the previous regime, not to knock Stan or anything else. But what Dwayne Casey has done, some games, at the end of games, the diagramming of plays... Phenomenal stuff. And it truly was Jamal Murray of the Nuggets versus Dwayne Casey at the end of that game the other night. And I also love the fact that Coach Casey got in that post-game uh, press conference and was not none too pleased and said, I don't care if it's a getaway day. I don't care if it's the last game of the trip. I don't care if we're playing Denver. We've got to come out and give maximum effort from Jump Street, as Tayshaun Prince used to say, a- a- and win games in the first quarter if we need to. Because the Pistons you know, lollygagged themselves to three quarters before turn, turning it on the other night. But I think we've got to be very, very aware of, of, of how lucky we are to have Dwayne Casey here running this team. Because he's done a fantastic job. And some of those play calls, man, to get Ellington and Jackson open threes, cross-court passes, uh, sideline out of bounds at the end of that game. We're fun to watch. Another thing fun to watch, and this has kind of been a—I'm a, a, not going to put it in the old bit Matt Derry old bit category—but you know, we we, we talked about at, at, during the middle of the season, and Ed Stefanski brought it to up to us on Wired a few weeks ago, and we had Ed on as a guest, of course, the Pistons senior advisor and you know pseudo president and general manager. He said, we're a different team when Ish Smith is playing. Now, we could talk all about Wayne Ellington and the 25 points that he had in 31 minutes Thursday night, and he hit seven threes, and boy, has that been an added boost for this team. Wayne Ellington over 20 in three of the last six games. So he's been big. Andre Drummond, 18 and 18, doing what he does, a plus 21 on Thursday night. Blake Griffin, a 20 and 10 game. So two guys going with double-doubles. But to talk a little bit about Ish Smith, and when he was out, and was injured how this team did not perform as well 15 points on Thursday night seven of 14 from the field six assists one turnover Reggie Jackson last night had four assists one turnover Pistons took care of the basketball and with Ish Smith who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year they're a different team with that second unit when he's moving the basketball and pushing the basketball. And that's a guy that you look up and say, all right, if the Pistons are going to play Philly in the first round, or they're going to play Toronto, or they're going to play Milwaukee, and a lot of the experts will say Bucks in four or five, Raptors in four or five, Sixers probably in five or six, whatever it is. The Ish Smith factor is, it's real. He's not a star, but he adds a dimension for this team and kind of a swagger that is extremely important. It was the Phoenix game uh, last week on the West Coast trip, and yes, the Suns are terrible, but Ish Smith had a couple of dagger shots in the fourth quarter, and the guys get up off the bench. He brings a kind of energy, but he's got a lot of skill. So this notion that well, the Pistons didn't have Ish Smith, so what? No, when he's not there, they are uh, they are a lot. Their growth is stunted without him. So it's going to be very very important that he stays healthy and they keep him out on the floor. Well, let's bring in our guest here on Wired for this week. It's Grant Long, former Piston, of course, and a former NBA big man. Star at Eastern Michigan as well. Now uh, analyst in the studio for Fox Sports Detroit. Gives us a couple minutes right now. What's up, Grant?
1: Everything is good, man. It's been a great. You talked about the Pistons. It's been a great season for them, man. And uh, things are looking up and getting into the playoffs.
0: They're right there. And absolutely a big win last night uh, over Orlando. One they had to have, Grant. How, how tricky is that game, that first game back from a West Coast trip, though? And, and it seemed like the Pistons kind of were... You know mucking it up early and maybe didn't have the greatest of energy which is which is normal but how tough is it to, to ratchet up a game like last night when you come back from a trip that first one home?
1: You know what Every, everybody always talks about that being a you know I've heard the cliche calling it a trap game, a uh, fatigue game when you come back home after a long road trip. but you're hearing it from me a former player of 15 years who have has come off the road plenty of times and played at home. That is the best feeling in the world when you've come from a long road trip and you get to get back home and play on your own floor in front of your own fans. It's the greatest feeling in the world. Any, any type of, you know, lag in your energy or effort, that's only because of you. That has nothing to do with anything else. But if you can't get psyched up for being back home, you know, to play in front of your home crowd, play on your home floor in the comfortable confines of everything that you're comfortable with, that in itself gives you the energy that you need to play in a game like the Pistons played last night. I think if you have any player that is that, that is worth his salt, he'll tell you that's the best feeling in the world to come back home and play in front of your home crowd and get that energy back that you lost on the road playing in front of your your your, your opponents' fans.
0: You looked at last night. Did, did you see a, a, a game in which? That, that'll do it, this should be a game, this win kind of clinched a spot. I know it's not official yet, and there's still seven games left, but that's one they had to have for the playoffs. Do you view it now as all right, beating Orlando on a Thursday night like that kind of cinched up at least a, a one of these last three spots?
1: Well, my thought on that was because I went into the game saying, you know, what's the worst case scenario if they lose? If they lose, the world is still not going to cave in because everything is so tight. Last night, they were in seventh place and jeopardy of possibly moving down to eighth. if They lose. Well, they win, and they move up to sixth. The same scenario would have happened if they lost. They would be down in eighth, but they win two games. They're back up in the sixth. So, you know, they're, 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 these, to me, are not must-win games. If this was a game that put you in or out, yeah, I said it's a must-win. But as long as there are games to play and one game to move you up a spot and a half or even a spot... They're not must win as, as, as everybody would like them to be. It's an important win, certainly it is, because Orlando was right behind you. So that, that's a, that's an important win. But you know, as long as there are more games to play, I think we're we're, we're throwing that cliche out there that this is a, an absolute win, or you know, you're moving up and down. And to me, it's just it's just not that yet because there's there's many games to play. I think the more important thing was, and I even said this yesterday. The team played well on the road. They lost, but they weren't playing bad. They they weren't getting blown out of games with the exception of that Denver game at the very beginning, but they fought back. And and held the Denver Nuggets to 14 points in the first or in the fourth quarter. So they were playing good basketball. It was just a matter of getting back and and, and fixing a little bit of those mistakes, like turning the ball over and having bad possessions. But once they got that fixed yesterday, I mean, they were off and running.
0: Grant Long with me. Um, Let's talk about Wayne Ellington a little bit. The 25-point night last night. He's now led this team in scoring three of the last seven games. Uh, What's been the secret to his success, and how big of a pickup was this for Arn Tellum and obviously Ed Stefanski?
1: Hey, hey, listen, I'm not talking bad about Reggie Bullock, but this is definitely an upgrade. And this is, Dwayne Ellington is definitely an upgrade. I don't know how or what the reason was that he was able, that he became available for Miami, but it was a perfect match for him to come to Detroit uh, with his outside shooting. And I think the fact that he's a willing shooter, you know, he'll go through a stretch where if he misses two or three of them, four or five of them. He's still going to shoot it because he understands what him being on the floor is, is meant to do—to stretch the floor, to give guys like Drummond and Blake an opportunity to work on the inside. So as long as he shoots it, as a willing shooter. You know, I'm all, I'm on board with that. He, he's playing the two guard. If you don't know what the two guard is, it's called a shooting guard. A shooting guard shoots the ball. That was my biggest issue with Reggie Bullock. You know, he'd give you, in KCP, I know thing about KCP the same way. You know, he'd have a game where he scored 25 and you wouldn't see another 25 point effort from him for 10 or 12 games. And he wouldn't even shoot the ball. So, you know, you got to have guys in that position who are aggressive and are willing to take their shots. And I think that's what the biggest difference with Wayne Ellington. He's shooting the basketball. Every opportunity he gets to shoot it, he's letting it go. And I love that. This is this is a league now where you're shooting the ball from the three you shooting it you know, distant shot. So sneak neat guys who are willing to shoot the ball.
0: He's that guy. Pistons off a win over the Magic. We're talking to Pistons analysts from Fox Sports Detroit, former Piston Grant Long. Interesting, Grant, about the shooting portion of things. You look at the Pistons now and where they sit, like you said, sixth in the East with seven to play and in a game over 500. Is it just as simple as they're finally making threes? Because that's what this league has turned into, and I've talked about it with so many different guests here on the podcast, here on Wired. Is it just a matter now that shots for Ellington, shots for Luke Kennard, shots for Reggie Jackson are going in, which they didn't early in the season, and, of course, they didn't have Ellington on the roster?
1: Yeah, I think it is. It's really it's simple, but then, no, they did not, because earlier in the season, the Pistons were number one in the league at missing open shots. So they were creating good opportunities. They just didn't have any guys that were making them. So now you go, you know, fast forward, you know, three months later, those same shots that they were number one at missing they're making them now. That, that's a, that makes the world a difference in a league that, you know, pretty much puts a premium on shooting a three point shot. And coming into this season, I gotta tell you, I was one of those guys that said, wow, how are the, the pistons going to compete in a league that pretty much gets it done from beyond the arc when you've got your best guys on your team who do their best work five feet from the basket. That's Blake and Andre. But all of a sudden, you know, Blake shows us that he's got three point capability. He's been very good at it. You know, he's not, I wouldn't call him a Stephen Curry by no stretch, <laughs> but he, He'll definitely keep the defense honest and he's a willing shooter from there. He made his fair share of shots. So that's another guy that spreads the floor and allows Andre to maybe have one-on-one coverage near the basket. So it's worked out well to my surprise. Like I said that, you know, this is not, by no stretch what I call it. a very good three-point shooting team, but they have enough shooters now that Luke Kennard's making, them, not at, at Reggie Jackson. And then you add Wayne Ellington to the bunch. Langston Galloway—he hasn't been as consistent as you as you would like him to be. But when he's hot, you know he's got to be on the floor because he can make shots as well. But you do have a, 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 a complement of players who can put the ball in from distance, and I think you need that. So it is a matter of making shots, but it's also a matter of the personnel that's on the floor as well.
0: What's Andre Drummond doing in your mind that has kind of turned his season around? Not that he was playing poorly at the start of the year, but you know, people like me, critics, anybody else would say there's just not that consistent effort on the defensive end every night. But he has seemed more motivated than I've ever seen him since the All Star break. What do you think the uh, What do you think the secret is?
1: Listen, you know what? A rising tide will lift all boats, and that rising tide on this team is Blake Griffin. Think back before Blake came on the team. And Andre Drummond was, you know, paraded out there as the leader of the team. He's the guy. He's the captain. He's all of these things about the Detroit system. Now, he was probably that because he was the highest paid player. He was almost forced to the front because he was the highest paid player. Reggie Jackson was along in that same vein. But now all of a sudden you get a guy, a Blake, uh, Blake Griffin Elk, who is a bona fide all star, who has been there, who's done some things in this league that's very special. Now, all of a sudden, it, it puts everybody in their rightful position. Well, maybe this guy is not really the leader yet. He, maybe he will be, but not yet. And that's what Blake having Blake does. It, it puts everybody in their rightful position. It puts a pecking order, and Blake is at the top of that. And all of a sudden, you have to respect that. Now, if you're Andre Drummond, you're Reggie Jackson, you've got a guy like Blake on your team, and you understand the work ethic that he has and how serious he puts, uh, how serious he takes every game, you have to all of that are you going to look really bad? So I think having Blake allowed Andre to mature at a faster rate than we expected, and I think that's what I mean by the rising tide lifts all boats. Having Blake helps Reggie, it helps Andre, and we're seeing what we're seeing from Andre is something that I thought he could do, but maybe it was going to happen a couple of years, a couple of seasons later. But when you put Blake into the mix, he's saying, "No, it's got to happen right now. You have got to mature right now." And I think that's what we're seeing from Andre.
0: I loved your point earlier, Grant, about the West Coast trip. You're right. You look at the trip and you say, all right, the four games out west, 1-3, and three, and then if you count the Cleveland game as part of the trip, 1-4. and four. Yet, that last game in Denver earlier in the week, I don't, know, I don't know about you, and I know you were off that night, you weren't in the studio, but I know you saw it. Some of the plays that Dwayne Casey dialed up on those sideline out of bounds at the end of the game, I haven't seen a Pistons coach do that since Rick Carlisle. I know people go, oh, what about Larry Brown? I, I'm, I thought... Fantastic stuff, you know. Uh, how, how much? How much do we? I know everybody talks about Dwayne and how he handles the locker room, but from an X's and O's standpoint, I think the guy's underrated. What do you think?
1: But yeah, I completely agree with you. The, the plays that he drew up to get you know good looks from his shooters—it's just one thing to get a play and just have somebody shoot it. But he got the ball to the at that at that point, probably the hottest guy on the floor with Wayne uh, Wayne Ellington. He got a wide open three and nailed it. Then he came right back and got Reggie Jackson a shot, who had had a dismal first half, but in the second half he caught fire, and they got him the ball in the corner for another three-point shot. So you're right, but the way he was able to come out of a timeout and give the players a lot of of credit because they were able to execute it, but the last play that got Reggie Jackson a shot was a, uh, a play that Blake Griffin won the game on against Philadelphia earlier in the season. Now, fast forward to, you know, that that road trip against Denver, Dwayne Blake, he puts another wrinkle in it where it, it allows Blake to drive the ball to the basket. And then they set a backside screen to get Reggie Jackson free on the other side. So that's another wrinkle that coach saw. and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to add this to it. We're going to continue with this play. But you're right. He, he probably doesn't get a lot of credit for the X's and O's because he's a big developmental guy. He likes to develop those guys deep on the end of a bench in case he needs them. But he is a very good X. Ex- Cerebral coach who uh, who is following the game, has a pulse on the game, and you like coaches who 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 are into it like that, who who are looking at things and trying to figure out how can they gain an advantage. And if you know Casey, that's what he's doing. He's following the game and trying to see where he can gain that advantage, where he can get in at, and that's when you see those plays happen in Denver, where he, he realized that and he peaked it.
0: Grant, we're all fans too. We want the team to do well. Put your fan hat on for a second. All right, they're sitting at six, so they would play Philly if it stayed the same. Obviously, if they moved down to seven, they would face Toronto. And then if they unfortunately got eight and would have to face Giannis and the Bucks, a team that swept them. But do you have a preference when you look at these possible matchups in a couple of weeks?
1: Now, I, this is going to be a hard answer to, to follow, but I'll say this. I don't have a preference, yet I don't want to see them play Milwaukee.
0: <laughs> right. I,
1: I would I would like to see them play Philly because I, I like that back and forth between Andre and Joel Embiid, and I think on this big stage, I think we're going to see a different Andre drummer. I know Embiid has had at some point got the better of Andre, and he's talked about owning real estate in and Andre's head and all that kind of stuff. But I think coming into a playoff situation, I think you'll see Andre maybe overcome all of that in, in a series, and I and I think I, I'd like to see that happen. I'd like to see that. Toronto, even though the Pistons have beat him three times this year, I, I understand the playoffs are a little bit different. And when you have a guy like Kawhi Leonard, who's won on the, on the grandest scale, uh, you know, he, he's a, he's, he can be a difference maker. So I, I don't know if I want to see that. I'm not afraid of it, but because they have won three times this year, they've they won that season series. So I wouldn't be afraid of seeing Toronto, but I would rather see Philadelphia.
0: You know, it's interesting because everybody's got their pros and cons. I'm I'm with you a little bit on the MB. I just think MB is so special, and and I think in the playoffs he he could go off some nights. And and I, not that Kawhi couldn't do that, or even Kyle Lowry, but with the Raptors, there's always something about them kind of gagging in those big moments, you know.
1: But you look at Philly. they've got so much talent that now it's not it won't just be about MB. It, it won't. It, it, you know, you still got you got Tobias Harris to deal with. You got have got Jimmy Butler. JJ Reddick, and obviously Ben Simmons. So you've got a number of guys that you have to deal with. That now all of a sudden the spotlight is not necessarily on Andre and MV. All
0: right. What about this bad boys reunion? Thirty years. Can you believe this, Grant? Thirty years since the '89 title team, and uh, many of them coming back for the ceremony on Saturday night and celebration against the Blazers at Little Caesars Arena. You were a rookie at that time in Miami. Yeah. What, what do you what do you remember about playing those guys and? <laughs> how many how many bruises do you still have?
1: Man, you know it, it was such a, a, a kinship there because prior to that I had played with those guys and he used to work out at Oakland University uh, throughout the summer. So we were we were playing basketball with all of the Pistons. I was anyway during that summer before uh, the season. So I, I got to know everybody, um, and then Coach Rothstein, obviously coming from Detroit, he was my, he was my head coach. Like I said, vicariously with that team because I had a kinship with them. I knew those guys. It was, it was, a, it was a wonderful thing to have them come back 30 years later. Well, it, it didn't seem that long ago that I was playing in the NBA in my first year, but wow, I guess, I guess time flies when you're, you're having fun.
0: How much has the game changed and would the stuff that they did not that, you know, the detractors always call them cheap shot artists and Lambert and Rick and everybody else, but how much has this game changed now where? You tell some of the younger players when you're seeing Andre Drummond down on the floor before your pregame show, whatever it is, you have no... And you're kind of describing how different the game was back then. These guys have no idea now, right?
1: Oh, man, they have no idea. And even before the bad boys, you think about how the league was before that. I mean, some guys would throw a punch and they say, okay, technical foul, let's continue to play. Nobody was throwing out. That's just what basketball was all about, the strong survive. And I've seen them. I've seen some some pretty good elbows when, like I said, prior to the Bad Boy era, there was some, some pretty good elbows and some rough play. But then you fast forward to, I think the Pistons thought, hey, listen, let, let's have a throwback here. Somebody must have looked back at some old tapes or something and said, hey, this is the way we need to play. Yes. Yeah. And, and and they got it done. And I remember listening to Commissioner Stern at the time. I remember the 30, 30 for thirty, and he talked about he, he he felt like he let that go on. Maybe two or three years too long. He should have put a. He should have put the kibosh on it. He said uh, of their physical play. Right when he saw it happen, he thought it would just die out quickly. But he said it never did. Take me out! I didn't even try to make the basket. I just threw it up there and ran out of bounds. But that—that's the fear, not only in myself, but I think that went across the league when the bad boys were in their heyday. that, that, that man, I, I tell you what, to have a reputation like that, just go on and on and on through the NBA for decades—that's a—that's a, to have ownership of that reputation is the best.
0: Grant, great stuff, man. Great to visit with you. Thanks so much. Keep up the uh, excellent work on Fox.
1: Thanks, guys. Thank you for
0: having me. Always a pleasure to talk to Grant Long. We thank him uh, for joining us here on WIRE, the Pistons podcast, for this uh, Friday recording as we get ready for the weekend. The Pistons have some very big games coming up, including the Portland Trailblazers in here on Saturday evening. Again, get out to Little Caesars Arena and get there early uh, for the 7 o'clock start time. As the Pistons will honor at halftime, the bad boys, the 30-year anniversary of the 88-89 team that, of course, went on to win back-to-back championships. Then next week, at Indiana Monday, home to Indiana Wednesday, at Oklahoma City on Friday, and home to Charlotte on Sunday. So a busy week for the Pistons next week after the Portland game with four games in six days, and we'll see how Detroit weathers that, but currently in a good spot right now. A half game up on Brooklyn for that sixth spot. Net schedule more difficult than the Pistons, but these games are not all gimmies or or easy check marks, but I like the way this team is playing, and bounce back certainly on Thursday night. We'll talk to you next week on Wire. Thanks to Grant Long, and thanks to our friends at Jeep.